Good morning. Funny story, I left my iPad in my sister-in-law's car when she came to pick us up from the airport, and so I don't have my regular iPad, so I'm using my wife's government-issued Navy. This thing, man, is like a TV screen. See how big that is? But I think God just knows because um, I have started wearing glasses recently, um, but it's more for for uh, seeing further away, and so, but this, this, this helps me a lot, and now I'm thinking, man, I think I need one of these, you know, not just because it's football season, uh, but, uh, but I'm, I'm kind of loving this. Well, good morning. I missed everyone last weekend. I, I was telling Ardell, I feel like I've been gone for a couple of months. I've only missed one weekend, uh, but it's been uh, quite, a, quite a trip. Um, I was traveling last week. I had the privilege of spending time with our sister church in Reno. And ministering uh, to them, and so we had a great time uh, last Sunday. That's where I was. Uh, I was in Florida the week before that. Flew straight into uh, Reno. Just a quick story. Um, we were. I was leaving Pensacola, Florida, on a small kind of a charter jet. You know, you get on the jet on the right side. It's only one seat. All the way down on the left side, it's two seats. All the way down, and so uh, we were leaving. Pensacola, we roll onto the flight line, the pilot goes uh, full throttle, and we're taking off, about 10 seconds into the flight, the engines power down suddenly, they start applying the brakes, we're leaning forward, and everybody on the plane is shaking and looking at each other like, we have no idea what's going on, in my mind, I'm thinking we're about to overshoot this runway, you know, and so we finally veer off, and then we sit about 15, 20 minutes on the side, and over the intercom, the flight attendant says, ladies and gentlemen, I have just heard from the pilot that we needed to clarify a clerical issue, and we're all going, what does, doesn't make sense? We didn't know if it was mechanical. We didn't know what was going on, and then uh, it's funny. I landed in Reno, and I was telling Pastor Matt, bro, this the craziest thing just happened to me today, or yesterday, uh, and um, he was saying, you know, that might have been the hand of God. You know, maybe there was another plane coming in on the same flight line, and maybe we were in the way, or maybe we were on the wrong way. So I don't know what was going on. I'm just glad that I'm here with you guys. <laughs> and so, uh, but I'm excited uh, to be back here. Um, heard about the Trunk or Treat event. Thank you, uh, guys, for those who helped out. I know Eric and Ardell, you played a big part, and others, those of you who participated and decorated your cars, and I heard it was a great time. I heard, saw all the pictures uh, and wish that I was there, but I trust that everybody uh, enjoyed it. So, hope you're doing well this crisp, cool morning. I just had to break out my jacket, even though it may not warrant it. It's kind of warmed up, but I thought, you know, it kind of looks cool. So, I'm just going to leave it. And it's a hassle to take it off. So, anyway, um, but thank God for technology. How many uh, appreciate the extra hour uh, last night for anybody? Or did you even notice? Anybody, did you notice? What, what, what time change? This is the end of daylight savings times. Thank God for technology uh, that changes automatically. And so, uh, you know, um, we, did, we didn't skip a step. Uh, so, but, you know, glad to be here now. Um, for those of you who uh, might think I'm in my 20s, <clears throat> uh, I want you to know that I am not. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And so, um, you know, I, I feel kind of strange as I was preparing for this message, 
uh, realizing that we are now in a category of decades. You know, we do everything in decades. Um, we could just, it's easy to reference everything in decades. We reference movies through decades. We reference music through decades. We reference technology through decades. And I'm now realizing that we are in the, the 20s. See, when I grew up in the 80s and 90s, it just it rolled off the tongue very easily. Oh, 80s. Oh, that song is from the 70s, right? Oh, that's my dad's music. Oh, that's, you know, oh, 60s, right? And so I can remember as the turn of the millennium came along, I was thinking, what are you going to call it once we hit 2000, the new millennium? You know, and then it was called the 2000s, and that just doesn't roll off the tongue as well. You know, what do you tell people? Oh, I was born in the 2000s, right? It doesn't work. And then it got worse when we got to 2010. Oh, I was born in the 2010s. Right? It doesn't work. But now we're in a place where we can say the 20s. And I don't know if you realize this, but about seven years from now, we'll be referring to this decade as the, as the 20s. So um, anyway, I say all that to say this. As we begin this brand new series, I'm looking back. Uh, we've been in the 20s, the 2020s, for about three years. And the 2020s didn't start off very well, did it? If you think back with me a couple of years, we were in lockdown. We were in mask mandates. We weren't meeting as a church because we didn't have a school to meet in. Uh, we were meeting online. That was a whole nother experience. I thought it was kind of cool at first, right? But then the pandemic got worse. We were kind of meeting in kind of house churches in different places, and then that got shut down. You couldn't even meet uh, in houses. Um, you know, then there was, you know, uh, the racial tension. You guys remember that? Uh, and all these crazy things that just all of a sudden just blindsided us and hit us out of nowhere. There was political upheaval, you know, all that going on. We went through two uh, elections that were just, cr- just crazy, you know. And so, and, and even though we think that most of that is in the rearview mirror, there's still a lot of that effect still, still carrying over. How many noticed that? And so, uh, even now, you know... With that being in the rearview mirror, or so, so we think, uh, we still feel that residue. But currently, currently, when I think about how things are going, you know, gas prices alone, that's already enough to make you go, man, you know, what's going on? You know, there's talk of, of possible nuclear war. Never thought I'd hear that one, right? Um, we're flirting with a recession. We're flirting with a housing crash. Um, gas prices again through the roof. And then in two days, we're all going to the polls, if you haven't already, if you haven't uh, voted early. And all of a sudden, you start to get triggered again. How many of you are feeling a little bit of something's triggering some of these old feelings that happened before? And so we're going to have to brace ourselves for the results of whatever happens in in the next few days. And so all this stuff is, is going on. And so you know, and, and so this it, it really inspired us to really take a look at this, at this series. And so today I get to lead us off and begin this brand new series, The World Has Gone Mad. And the purpose of the series is to bring perspective to help settle our hurried and our worried and our troubled hearts through the truth of God's word. And so I've, I've entitled my message, Comfort for the Troubled Heart. And so now I have a question for you. For those of you, maybe, maybe you find comfort, and maybe you don't find comfort, but say in food, right? 
Most people who find comfort in food, you can categorize them in two different categories. Either they love the sweet, right, or the salty or, or savory. Okay, so um, let's not tell on anybody and those who might, you know, find food as comfort. But we all love our favorite dish, don't we? Or we go out to eat and, and, and cost is not a thing. We go out and we get what we want to eat, right? So how many of you usually lean towards the sweet stuff? Ice cream, pie, cake, cheesecake, caramel, whipped cream. That's you. Is that anybody here? Lord, help our people to be honest. <laughs> They're like, no, stop, babe. Right? Okay, how many of you, you say, give me a cheeseburger, give me pizza, and I'm good? Hot wings, right? Okay, how many are like me, you get the burger with the milkshake, and you say, hey, get both? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> stay, stay right there stay right there pastor but we joke about things like that but really all of us have something some kind of mechanism that helps us cope in trouble we all look for comfort some people may turn to a codependent relationship or some other type of uh, escapism right to, to find comfort or to to ease the pain. And so this series is going to address that. It's going to challenge us to think about the different ways we pursue comfort, right? And, and how those things just fail and they don't work. And so we're going to start this series in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. And we're going to see that Jesus is going to give us a perspective on comfort that's really going to fly in the face of everything that we've tried, but we know doesn't last. Um, but a little bit of context before we get into our main text. If we back up one chapter into John chapter 13, here's what's going on. Jesus was spending his final hours with his disciples, and he tells them some really heavy news, some terrible news. He tells them that he's not just leaving, um, but that he's going to die. Uh, he's going to give his life. Uh, and so now you can imagine what these disciples are feeling, you know, they have given up everything to follow him, even family to, to follow Jesus. And for the last several years, they're, they're right with him. They're seeing what he's doing. They are believers. They are, they're all in. And now their fearless leader is now telling them, uh, by the way, you know, I'm leaving. And where I go, you cannot go. And so you can imagine just the, the, what, the, the stress and the anxiety and the question marks that the, that the disciples must have had. But at the end of chapter 13, he sums up their time together with, with a new command. You might remember this. He says, love God, love others. And it would have been great if he ended there, but it didn't. In the last three chapters of John chapter 13, it gets really, really intense. On top of everything that was already said. There was betrayal. If you remember Judas, one of the disciples, he kind of sneaks out kind of cryptically without others knowing he's on his way to betray Jesus. In the same conversation, Peter is pledging his life with confidence. Jesus, I will go with you. I'll follow you. I'll give my life for you. Stop talking that nonsense. And so Peter is, is telling Jesus, man, I'm with you, I got your back. And Jesus is basically looking at him going, you know, uh, liar. 
you're going to deny me three times within a few hours, and it's all going to happen very, very, very fast. And so they're blindsided by all this. You're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And so we arrive now at this extremely heavy moment that had to be incredibly troubling for Jesus' followers. And so these disciples who had given up everything to follow Jesus are now faced with this with these hard situations in life. Now we're going to read John chapter 14, 1 through 6. Um, but we're going to read verse 1 first, and then I'm going to kind of uh, go through the rest of the text um, as I go through my points. All right, so verse 1, and we'll pause there uh, because it's going to be the basis for the rest of today's message. Uh, so let's pick up in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. You might be familiar with this. It says this, Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Father, we thank you uh, so much for your word and all that it represents and all the power that it brings. And and Lord, the transforming power, um, all that you can do through us and to us through your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to open our hearts and make them receptive. We ask you to open our minds, uh, Holy Spirit, that you'd bring us revelation But most of all, help us not to just hear, but to do what your word says. Let us be changed as we walk out of this, even as it was exhorted to us this morning during worship. Let your word and your spirit manifest in us and through us as we obey and as we do what your word tells us to do. Thank you for speaking to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So the very first thing Jesus says after coming out of chapter 13 And dropping all of those bombs on the disciples, he says, oh, by the way, let not your hearts be troubled. How many of you hear that and say, man, that is so simplistic, it's almost offensive. Especially when you're going through something, when you're going through a tragedy, when you're going through something unexpected, something that that really hurts, something that you don't have answers to, something that you're not in control of, when, you're, when your world is falling apart as it was for the disciples. Jesus says all these things and says, oh, by the way, let not your heart be troubled. I see some old movie back in the 70s, you know, of, you know, some person who speaks proper English, oh, let not thy heart be troubled. It's like real spiritual and flowery, and it's, it almost doesn't fit the situation. And so the disciples are already blown away, and they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, our whole world is crumbling. You just told us that they're going to kill you. You said that someone we thought was one of us is going to betray you and and us. You also said that the disciples who, uh, uh, who was most confident, Peter, the most outspoken one, right, the one that we see all the time kind of flexing for you, and now you're saying he's going to deny you. And so the disciples are in a troublesome moment. They're probably thinking what we think when our world falls apart. (laughs) Really? Let not my heart be troubled? Is that, that supposed to fix everything? And so a troubled heart is a heart that has no hope in the current situation or no hope in the future future situations. A troubled heart is a heart that lacks peace because there's no control. And yet Jesus has the audacity to say, 
Let not your heart be troubled. So some of you might be good today. You might think, my, my life's okay. Nothing really bad is going on right now. You know, I'm looking at the gauges and everything is, is staying steady. But it's something that you can't avoid. At some point in time, we all experience trouble that disrupts our lives, disrupts and messes with our emotions. I know what it means to have a troubled heart. So the reason why I was in Florida, even right now, is uh, my stepmom passed away. And so me and my stepmother, we only lived together for about five years. My dad remarried. Um, he really loved this woman. And so I really, I really loved my dad. And so I, he came to me first and he asked me, he said, man, what do you think about Ruth? And I said, I think you're in love with her. And he said, I am. I said, well, dad, I think you're good to go. And so they started dating. They got married. Her family and my dad's family moved in. And, and it worked. It really worked. And so we you know, got, got pretty close. And so we did life together for about five years. So she watched me grow up as a teenager. Um, and, then so, and then we got sudden news that, that she, she wasn't going to make it through the day. She was on life support. I was a little bit upset because my family didn't tell me that because she had been sick for a while. And I thought, man, you know, it would have been nice if somebody would have said something to me. But it was sudden. Um, and so I went back. And so we, you know, it was good seeing family. You know, there's nothing like a good wedding or a funeral that brings out the best and the worst in families. You ever experienced that? And so my stepmom, um, she didn't leave a will. And so there's some um, assets and things like that that's kind of just kind of lingering. And so, you know, the family is, we're just trying to figure all this out. So on top of her passing away, now we've got this stuff that we've got to administrate and people who are, kind of, you know, laying claim, and I'm just, you know, I'm just like, man, I just, I don't know about all this, you know, so I began to pray, and so they know that I'm a pastor, and so, you know, they, they respect the title that I'm a pastor, and so I would walk in and kind of keep peace, and man, I tell you, I never ever pull rank, but I did when I was over there, because <laughs> there was just so much stuff going on, I would walk in, I'd be like, can I pray for anybody, and they're like, uh, <laughs> right, and so, you know, this, this, this calling that God has given me, uh, I'll be honest, I just went over there and I was like, you know what, guys, let's not be this way. Let's not talk like that. You know, let's, uh, you know, look, I, I love God and I'm going to represent him and I will represent him in front of all of y'all. And so they were able to calm down a little bit. But in this season of my life, I know what it's like to, to experience trouble. I know what it's like to, to uh, have a heart that's, that's troubled, and we're all going to go through it at some point. And so maybe you're experiencing some kind of devastation or loss or something scary. Maybe there's a, you know, a medical condition that you're not, you're not sure how it's going to turn out. You know, maybe you're praying for somebody close to you and they're going through something, but it's, but it's affecting you. It might be daunting. Well, we all have lots of reasons to not be at peace, and let's be honest, even being a believer isn't always easy, is it? In fact, Jesus told us it's not going to be easy. Sometimes putting all our trust and hope in God can be tough, especially as we're staring our situation in the face and we're realizing the reality of it all. So how can I not be troubled and be at peace when I'm facing a situation that I don't understand? That's out of my hands. 
You know, what's cool about what Jesus says is that he doesn't just leave it at don't be troubled. He doesn't just leave it there. He says in his very next statement, he tells us actually what it means to not be troubled. It's not like we can change the circumstance anyway. And so he's not saying that. We live in a broken world. We know this. Nobody's surprised by that. But Jesus' very next words are, believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, before I get into my points, I want to begin with a qualifying statement from the verse that we just read. So Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so the qualifying statement I want to make, this is going to lead us into the rest of today's message. The cure for a troubled heart is belief. The cure for a troubled heart is belief. Belief just means having confidence. Belief means having trust. Belief means having faith. So you really could mix the words up where he says, you know, um, uh, in the verse that we just read where he says, believe in God, believe also in me. You can say, trust in God and also trust in me. Have faith in God, also have faith in me. And if believing is the fix, then the question is, what do we really believe? What do we believe? Now, if we're going to overcome troubled hearts, I believe that Jesus wants us to believe three things. Based on this scripture, three things according to our text today. If we're going to overcome trouble, the first thing we must, we must believe is that there's a place. Let me explain. If we continue in verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. How many know there is no better place to be than in the will of God and in the presence of God? Jesus creates a place for you. And he creates a place for me regardless of what you're going through. How many of you have been following the, uh, the lottery news lately? <clears throat> Lord, help our people again. Okay, let me update you, since none of you are following the lottery. <laughs> Last night was the largest jackpot in lottery history. One point, I think it got up to 1.6 billion. With a B. How many of your mind is just turning right now? Okay, stay with me. Don't check out of church yet, okay? Nobody won. <laughs> How far is Prim from here? How far is the state line? <laughs> they say it's now at 1.9 billion. As we read this, depending on the translation that you read, sometimes it says that Jesus goes to prepare a mansion. For you, how many wouldn't mind having a mansion? God bless our people. <laughs> if you don't want the mansion, give it to me. I'll take it. Just saying. And if you happen to play the lotto, I'm not endorsing or you know what I'm saying. 
but just remember our series last month. <laughs> give God the first fruits first. When you give the first fruits, he redeems the rest. <laughs> the church is always talking about money. No better place than the will of God. What I wanted to say was that some translations say mansions. Our translation here, and most scholars agree that this is probably more accurate, but it says, in my father's house are many rooms. So not necessarily a mansion. Maybe you'll get like a, you ever seen those two towers in Summerlin? They're like million dollar condos. I think that's probably more accurate of what the Bible is saying. Maybe there's one big old building that belongs to God and we all have a place in it. Okay, but if it's anything that I can imagine, it's probably going to be better than the million-dollar condos in, in Summerlin. Um, but anyway, uh, just saying, he goes to prepare a place. Now, obviously, if he's talking about mansions and he's talking about going where he's going, he's talking about the future. He's talking about eternity, right? And so we're talking about a troubled heart now. And so part of this verse is saying, look, don't fix your eyes so much on the things here. Because if you would just look what you're going to get later, right? I go to prepare a place for you. And it's more than we could ever ask or, or think or dream of. Now, if you're like me, I'm going, that's wonderful, Jesus. But my heart is hurting now. My heart is troubled now. What, what about now? What are we doing about now. So he starts to talk about his, father, his father's house. He's talking about heaven. What about this side of heaven? You know, just thinking about it, I'm going, you know, maybe one day, you know, when I, you know, die, but God, I'm not in a hurry. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that mansion, but I'm still alive. I'm not in a hurry to die. I'm not, a hurry, I'm not in a hurry for that mansion. But Jesus, what can you do for me now? Chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 addresses both the now and the future, and it brings it even more into perspective, but I'm not going to go there just yet. We're going to go that, uh, there uh, in a moment. But the Bible is acknowledging the struggle if you read verse 17 and 18, it says, for this light momentary affliction, this is 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 17 through 18. For this light momentary affliction, acknowledging what's going on right now, this light affliction right now, for us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, what we're going through now does not compare to what we're going to see. We, we already said this. As we look not into the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are, are eternal. And so the Bible tells us to focus on the eternal things, right? The way I see it is first things first. I believe if Jesus were to walk into here, he'd say, you know what? I got so much for you, but let me, let's, let's do the first thing first. I want to make sure your soul is going to be okay. If you lose everything else, because all the things that we struggle for, we, we look to and we attain and, and we want and we desire, not always wrong. But you realize that's not going with us. The only thing going with us are the eternal things. And that's, guess what, the relationships. The people you see now, I don't know if you like the person sitting next to you, but if they're saved, they're going to be in heaven with you. I don't know if that's a praise the Lord or, oh, man, 
but we love each other here. Amen? Amen. So the Bible is acknowledging the struggle, acknowledging that the heart may be troubled, but it's also saying that what you're going through now, not only will that be taken care of, but Jesus says, look, I got a reward for that. The struggles you go through, I got a reward for that. Don't worry about it. What he asked for you cannot be, uh, cannot be compared to anything else. <clears throat> but there's also a place right now. Say right now. So what does that place look like? If God prepares a place for us that is going to take care of our troubled heart, what is that place? That place is the presence of God. And so when you're going through troubles and you're experiencing tough times and things like that, that's the time, church. That's the time, uh, follower of God, to press in. That's not the time to, you know, sit back and lick your wounds. When we're going through something like that, when you get bad news, you get terrible news, you don't know how you're going to handle it, that's when you go to God and you start pressing in and start saying, God, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't got this one. I need you on this one. And so we begin to press in and we seek him. And here's the thing. The Bible tells us in James that if you pursue God, he pursues you. And it's almost like, you know, you take you know, one step to him, and he takes two steps to you. God, I don't know if you realize this, but God has been pursuing you since you were born. That's how much he loves you. And so he wants us to press in and to pursue him. When we're having troubled hearts, that's not the time to, to tread water. That's not the time to be idle and to not move. Press in, say press in. We need to understand that when we Press into God. He draws near to us. And if you want to enter that place in this life, it starts with passionately pursuing him. We'll get into this a little bit more as well. And so it's creating that atmosphere. The reason why that our music team works. So how many appreciate our, our, our worship team, our, our music team? The reason why they work so hard is to bring the sound of heaven here so that you can experience the place that God has prepared for you here. And that's the presence of God. And so our, our, uh, our music team meets on Fridays. This is on top of what they do here on Sunday mornings. After Friday, they come here early in the morning and they set up. What you see here, they set up the backdrop and the tables and the couch and the, all of that for you guys. And then, well, you guys know that's not true. That's just the instruments. But then they break everything down. They pack everything up. They're the first ones in. They're the last ones out. On top of that, they sit on their instruments and they sit with the microphones and they minister to God and they try to make it as best as they can so that you can experience him in a real way. When we come to church, it's time to press into him because that's where the presence of God is. Have you ever experienced a moment in worship where you're just like, man, you, you come to church, you didn't even feel like coming to church. You know, the Bible talks about fighting the good fight. Some of you fought the good fight this morning. I didn't even want to come to church, but you're here. Thank you for fighting the good fight. It's pressing into God because when you do that, God shows up for you. And there's been times where I've been in worship and I didn't want to be there, but the moment it starts, I'm going, oh my gosh, this is it. This is it. And every, everything else starts to fade away. 
And so I know worship for you might be different. For some of you, you can sit in the Bible for hours. For some of you, you can meditate and pray and just sit before God's feet. But for me, it's music. And so I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and we know, we know we're supposed to read the Bible. We know we're supposed to pray. But sometimes I just don't feel like it. All I have to do is turn on music. God starts to minister to me and I start going, oh yeah, this is, this is nice. And then I start to enter in. I feel the presence of God and guess what? It doesn't stop there. All of a sudden I want to pray. I'm not a natural intercessor. I don't wake up going, oh man, God, I can't wait to pray. How many of you are like that? You wake up like that. Okay, it's all right. You, you know what I'm saying, right? But I, I put music on. I start going, oh my gosh, I need to start praying. So Vilma sets me up. My wife, you know, she was moved during the worship. And so she said, man, I just got to get up and pray. And so she did. She exhorted us. But she'll have worship going by the time I come down the stairs. I wake up a little bit later because my, my, my son uh, has some, some medical needs. And so I, I, I kind of help him out through the night. So my wife allows me to sleep a little bit longer, but I come downstairs and immediately I walk into the presence of God. She's sitting there, she's worshiping, she's in her Bible and I'm going, hey, I think I'll do some of that. But if she wasn't there, I might turn on the news first, being honest. We press in to the presence of God. That's the place that he's created for us. Says, don't be discouraged. Jesus does promise his presence while here on earth. The second half of this chapter, um, we'll, we'll touch on it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we'll touch on it here as we um, start to approach our closing. The second half of this chapter addresses this uh, time of here on earth. We'll get to that in a moment. For now, just know that the place where the presence of God is and where he is. Inviting you also applies to this side of heaven. So to cure our uh, our troubled hearts, Jesus wants us to believe that there's a place and also he wants us to believe that there is a way. What good would it be to know that there's a place and not know how to get there? That wouldn't be very helpful, would it? So there's a place and there's a way. Verse four says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How, we can, how can we know? How can we know the way? I, and I, sometimes I wonder the way it plays out in my mind. Sometimes I wonder if what Jesus had, uh, said should have had a question mark at the end of it. Because Thomas obviously didn't know. And so this is the way I think it should have played out. Jesus would have said, uh, you know where I'm going, right, Thomas? And then Thomas said, uh, uh, no, can you share? Because I do want to go. And you know where Thomas is at, a lot of people in this world are at. They want to go where God is, they just don't know how. Guess whose job that is? That's ours, because we know how. We know the way. And so he's asking Thomas, don't you know? Thomas is going, "Uh, no, not quite, but please share. How can we know the way? And then verse six, Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Now let's zone in on this a little bit. 
I know that through experience, I know what it's like trying to get to God without going through Jesus first. We've all done it. We want God and we want to try to get to him and so we try religion. And how many know there's a religion is, is a dime a dozen? Me and you, we could create our own religion today. We could say, you know what, in our religion, if you don't watch football every Sunday, you know what I'm saying? It's man-made. So people don't know the way to God. And so they'll try religion. They'll try different kinds and find that what they try doesn't hold up. Doing good things, good works, doesn't hold up. Doing uh, penance doesn't work. Anybody done penance before? You feel like I, I did something wrong. Let me make up for it, God, so I could be back in favor with you. And so we work for our salvation. That's what it looks like when we don't know the way. And so sincerity, there's a lot of sincere people here and in this world. How many know sincerity is not enough? There's a lot of people who believe in God. How many know belief by itself is not enough? How many have tried that? I've been there. I believed in God since, since I knew who he was. No one ever told me what I know right now. Keeping the Ten Commandments. Oh, I keep the Ten Commandments. Good for you. <laughs> Number one, it's impossible. Number two, even if you could, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Verse five. For there is one God, this is 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men and that's the man, Christ Jesus. If you want to get to the place, if you want to get to God, the way is through Jesus, period. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't add. He doesn't grade on a curve to make it easier for us to get there. It's Jesus, period. If you want to get to him, you can't skip past him. You know, back in the 80s, even as we're talking about decades, right? And so I remember... Um, being a kid, and American Express had this slogan. They said, membership has its privileges. Anybody remember that by chance? American Express. Okay, my man back there. See, we're, we're from the same, uh, you know. <laughs> membership has its privileges. In other words, if you want the full benefits, you got to be a member first. How many people in this world are trying to get to God, and God's going, uh, do we know each other? But God, when I was in trouble, I, I, I asked you, I wanted, but what about when you weren't in trouble? You see what I'm saying? And so if you want the benefits of heaven, you got to be a member of heaven first. Jesus is the way. There is no skip. Things that we want and need, everything that we're talking about, the place, the way, it's all based on a relationship with him. That's why he says, I'm the only way. I'm the truth. I am the life. You know, when you think about, uh, you know, in, uh, in, the, in John chapter 1, it talked about in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And now Jesus is saying here, no, I am the way, I am the truth. John chapter 1, he's saying, look, I am the word in full embodiment, everything that God says he is or does or everything right here. It's created right here. I am the word. 
This is the full embodiment of it. And so he's, he's piggybacking off of that. You know, Jesus says some pretty, some pretty exclusive things, doesn't he? I'm the way. Nobody else. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Those are some tough words for some people. Be honest, they were tough for me. Sometimes we don't think that Jesus is inclusive enough. Jesus, how could you? Right? But when I think about it, man, he doesn't really apologize here. It's based on relationship. So if you want help for your troubled heart, you have to believe it, that there's a place. And that place is both in heaven, yeah, you'll have a nice place, but also here, it's called the presence of God, and you can have it if you press in. The key to the place, the way, is relationship with Jesus. He's inviting us into his presence. And the way is Jesus, period. But the best part is there's a promise, which is also based on relationship. And we'll end with this in verse 7 as we get to the end of our text. <clears throat> John chapter 14, 7 says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. So Jesus is kind of revealing himself here now. And he says, From now on, you do know him and have seen him. There's a very comforting promise in scripture where God says that he will never leave those who are his. And that's in Hebrews 13, verse 5. And here's what it says in part. I'll just kind of uh, paraphrase. He says, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. You know, in a world that is constantly changing and where people are constantly leaving, whether they choose to leave or whether it's through death or just whatever, whatever. We, we, we know this happens in our world. The encouraging thing is God's promise that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. The promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you was first given to Israel. You can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. And it was a promise when Moses was talking to Joshua. And he was kind of in the same predicament as Jesus was with the disciples. Jesus was now telling the disciples, you're going to have to do this without me physically here. And so he was describing a future without him. And Moses was doing the same thing with Joshua. And so Joshua's approaching the promised land. If you remember the promised land, it was full of giants. They had good reports, bad reports, land flowing with milk and honey. But to possess that land, you imagine what Joshua, he's, he's saying, wait, this is my job now? Moses, you're not going to go with us? Moses never entered the promised land. And so this promise that we read about here first, that was the first time. But it wasn't the only time. So in Deuteronomy 31.6, Moses, he tells Joshua, who's the succeeding leader. I'm not going to be with you, but God will never leave you. And God will never forsake you. He'll be with you. And then in verse 8, later on, it says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
Joshua's task of taking the promised land seemed impossible. Can you imagine the trouble that he must have been experiencing that his patriarch can't even be there with him? Number one, he leans on him for his leadership. And then number two, they're connected. It's family. But now he won't be there. And so here's this exploit, something he's going to do that's good. But man, he's going to experience a loss at the same time. So by himself, for Joshua, it was impossible. But with the Lord... The task was very, very possible. You see, God didn't just make a promise. God is the promise. And God gives of himself to us. You see, when we receive Jesus in our hearts and we become what we call born again, we surrender our lives to him and we we invite him into ours, something happens. The Holy Spirit indwells within us. Now, I can't remember when the series was, but we talked about the Holy Spirit who is a person who is a helper of the same kind, the Bible says. God is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. I know it's puzzling. But when he says, I give you a gift, the gift that my father promised And that's the Holy Spirit to not just be with you, but to indwell in you. That's better than what these guys had back then where he says, God will go with you. God is in me as I go. God is in you as you go. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you may go through, God says, here's the promise. I give you me. I am the promise. And I go with you. It makes any task possible. And he said to Joshua, I will not forsake you. Many other verses in the Old Testament include similar statements. It was said to Jacob. It was said to Joshua. It was said to Solomon. Even in Isaiah, the poor and needy, it was a promise given to them. And in verse 5, where it says, Keep your life free from the love of money. This is uh, referencing Hebrews. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. What that really means is stop leaning on other things. It's not just material. It's not just whatever you turn to to find comfort. That's not God ordained. He's saying, "Don't, don't do that. My question is, what are you trusting in? What are we running to and going to that brings us comfort? Does that glorify God? Does that honor him? Place your trust in God who is the promise. He said, I'll never leave you. That phrase, the promise was fulfilled when God himself indwells in us. And then where it says, nor forsake you. If you study that, the phrase can be translated as, I will not abandon you. In other words, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I don't do that. This is the promise that's given to us as believers. The wonderful promise that Jesus will never leave nor forsake. He says, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And then because of the promise, it says, the Lord is my helper. 
I will not fear what can man or anybody else or anything do to me. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Then, as the Bible says, do not be afraid. We can say I am not afraid because he is with me. And then the second half, I won't read it. Second half of our text. John chapter 14, it tells us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Ask the Father, I'll give you a helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth through the world cannot receive. And then in verse 25, the things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. He'll guide you. He'll help you. He's the great paraclete. The word cannot be fulfilled by by words that we can describe in English because it would fall terribly short to who the Holy Spirit really is. And God says, the promise, that's who I give you. I give you me. You will not be by yourself. You will not be forsaken. You will not be abandoned. You will not be left alone. I'll be with you. I will go with you. Is your heart troubled today? If it is, just know that God has a place for you. And it's now. It's his presence. He provides the way. If we receive him, we have total access. And then finally, it's sealed with the promise of his own life that he gave on the cross to fulfill all that he said he'd do for us. Would you bow your heads? I just want to pray for you. Father, we thank you. Today for for who you are. God, if there's anybody who's got skin in the game, it's you. And Lord, I thank you that we don't have to just read neat stories and inspiring stories. But Lord, we get to experience you because you're with us and you're in us. Father, I pray if there's anybody right now that's experiencing something that has their heart troubled, anything that they can't understand or don't control, or maybe there's just question marks all over the place in such a way that is real, in such a way that is powerful, that, Lord, we can walk out of here with confidence saying, I am not afraid because you're with me. My chance is that anybody here, you just, without anybody looking around, you say, man, I'm, I'm just up against something that's just kind of crazy. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Okay, anybody else? Anybody else? I see that hand. Anybody else? Thank you, God. Father, I just pray for their situation. We may not know you do, and Lord, you're in control, so we trust you. Father, I pray that you calm the heart. Father, that again, we can confidently lean into you and press into you. And Father, find all that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.